here. You know what they say, Andrew, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, you want to come up here and get this crowd under control? <laughs> All righty, it's good to hear people happy. Uh, to be here in the Lord's house this morning, I pray that the Lord has blessed you. If you are uh, at home and not able to join with us, looks like you're missing out. Uh, we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of just overjoyed uh, to be here. So if you're not here, uh, we miss you and can't wait to, for you to return. As far as our announcements go, our deacon of the week is Brother Robert Eckerd. Uh, but he is uh, not feeling too well down in his back. And so if you need anything, uh, you can contact the church. If Brother Robert can't help you out, then uh, I'll have Miss Sue call me. Uh, and I'll try to help you out as best I can. As far as our announcements go, uh, pretty much everything has remained the same. As far as our Wednesday night services, uh, still having Sunday night service here uh, at 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary. But something to put on your calendar, uh, Vacation Bible School. Uh, you know, we missed out on that last year, uh, but uh, it looks like it's going to crank back up this year, uh, July 11th through the 15th. So please mark your calendar for that. Um, we'll probably need all hands on deck, uh, no doubt, to help us out. Uh, I think that's all the announcements that I have. So if you would, please, let's stand and let's greet one another. Okay, our Deacon of the Week reading comes from Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south. We'll skip over to verse 17 now. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, there are very few things in life um, that we can count on. But Father God, you are one of them. And you are steadfast in your love for us. And your patience and your mercy uh, endures forever. And Lord, today truly is the day that you have made. And Father, I can already hear my brothers and sisters rejoicing. And they are glad to be here. Glad to be in your presence. So Lord, we invite you. Uh, to come down and be among us. Lord, send out your spirit upon us. Father God, that we may, may feel your presence. There's nothing sweeter, Lord, uh, than when we know that you are near. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to bring our sacrifices, uh, whether those sacrifices be time or talent, uh, our tithes, our offerings. Uh, Father God, it is a joy and a privilege uh, to be able to contribute to your kingdom. But more than that, Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, that we won't leave what we've heard here. Lord, that we will take it and we will sing of your, your praises to the world around us. Father God, I think about our country and how we're really not much different from the times of old. Lord, with your people, we confess, Father God, that we have turned away from you. and We have fallen prey to idolatry and looking to other things our salvation for our salvation lord there's no other salvation other than in you so lord i pray that you would forgive us of our sins and that you would heal our land and father god that you would turn our hearts back to you lord sometimes that means that you have to do some pretty tough things to get our attention but father god i pray that at least for first baptist hiker that you won't have to work to get our attention uh, lord that we will uh, our focus would be on you not just on today uh, but throughout the week as well Father God, just uh, please bless our time together. And I pray this prayer through Christ. Amen. John, stand this morning as we worship together. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene.
no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me cause holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that this morning, in the midst of all the chaos of the world, we can come before you. We can come before you. God, seeking your face, we can come before you to worship in spirit and in truth. God, that you have granted to us your creation to come before you, the creator, and to offer you glory, honor, praise. That we can come, we can come asking for forgiveness for our sin and knowing that you will forgive us we can come before you with the desires of our heart and we know that you hear us. We can come before you and, and intercede on behalf of those who are lost, those who are sick. And God, we know that in those requests you are at work. And so God, this morning we come before you humbly. God, pleading with you to forgive us where we have failed. God, we, we beg this morning, God, that you would heal those who are sick. God, we plead with you to save those who are lost. And, and God, help us, help us to truly take the love that you have given us to those who are all around us. God, we pray for, for people who aren't here this morning because they are sick. God, we pray for healing in their life. God, we pray for our neighbors and those in our community who are far from you. God, we pray that you would put us in their path. That you would give us the words to say. That you would guide us by your spirit. God, so that we can see those around us transformed by the power that comes through knowing you. God, let us never stop with the work that you have. God, let us spend each and every day understanding that we are a commissioned people sent into the world to point others toward you, to point others toward the sacrifice that was made by your son and the grace that is available through him. God, I pray that 
when our time this morning is concluded here, that we will go as missionaries and ambassadors into this community. And that, God, you will transform those who are far from you. That you'll draw them in. God, that you'll save them from their sin. And that you'll claim them as your own. God, send us in that way and help us. Help us as we pray and go. Help us as we give. Help us as we seek to be obedient to you. God, you are great and glorious and worthy of all of our praise. And we give it to you this morning. God, we pray that you help us as we praise your name. Guide our hearts as we worship. And we pray this morning in Christ's name.
I sing hallelujah, you're lifting my heart as I lift my hands. Safe in your love, I sing hallelujah, you're healing my heart as I lift my hands. Held by your love, I sing hallelujah, you're lifting my heart as I lift my hands. Safe in your love, I sing hallelujah. You're healing my heart as I lift my hands. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your power and for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. As we've gone through this book of Acts, Father, I've seen one theme, and it's your love. You've given us Jesus Christ to save our souls. Father, you've given us a message of the gospel to share. And Father, you never gave up on us. Father, you took the Jews and you told them to share it with the Gentiles, Lord. And that's why we're here this morning, is because you shared your love with us. Father, I pray that you will open our minds and our hearts this morning to what you have to say. Father, I pray that we will be good stewards of your word, that we will continue to learn, but not only learn, but to share it with others. Father, we have so little time left that we're going to be here. We don't know when we're going to be called away. But God, you know the timing, and you know everything that's going to happen and when it's going to happen, and it never takes you by surprise. And Father, it does not surprise you one bit who's here this morning. Because Father, you have something to tell us. And I pray that we will listen. I pray that you'll be with our pastor this morning as he shares the word. Father, I pray that you'll give him the power to boldly come before the throne and, and share the word over and over again with us because God, we need to hear it. I pray that our ears will be open, our eyes will be open, and our hearts will be open. And that you will use us mightily in this week. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, if you're going to Children's Church, you can come on down. As they're coming, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, I found out that last week when I, I got up, I, I don't know if I was just so eager to to preach or what it was, but I told everyone to turn to Psalm chapter 11. Um, I, I didn't know that until uh, I was looking at the video doing some work this week and heard that and asked my wife, I said, did I really say Psalm 11? She said, yeah, but I think everybody figured it out, so, um, which is good. If you didn't, I'm really sorry, and it was probably exceptionally confusing because I read nothing from Psalm chapter 11 all Sunday morning, so, uh, uh, but Acts chapter 11, turn there. As you're turning there, a couple of things. Uh, I want to welcome a friend of mine. Uh, Clyde is here this morning. Clyde is uh, down at uh, First Baptist Hildebrand. And um, uh, it, it may seem strange because if you see Clyde, you notice there's a little age gap between he and I. Not a, a lot, but 50-some years. And uh, so uh, 40-some years, a little bit of age gap. But I was on Clyde's ordination council. 
uh, which is a really neat honor uh, several years back. And he came this morning and said, I just wanted to come down and, and visit with y'all at Eichert and hear you preach. And so, um, so that was pretty neat because normally you would look at the two of us and say, oh, he was on your ordination council. But no, God called Clyde after retirement into pastoring and, uh, and is there serving at, at Hildebrand uh, with them. And so it's, a, it's good to have him uh, with us. Um, we're here on, on daylight savings time. And, um, you know, I don't normally make political statements, but I want to tell you there's a bill in Congress right now to do away with this time change thing. And uh, I feel like that that's the type of thing that I could endorse from the pulpit, <laughs> is that Congress would do away with us switching time twice a year and it being a mess. So write your congressman or senator or whoever, because um, they don't do anything anyway, so they need to hear from you. And uh, we could do away with this mess. And I think we need to stand up and make a stand and whatever else because I'm a little tired. Um, Acts chapter 11 this morning. We, we continue through our study of the book of Acts. And, and as we do, we come to, I think, a, an encouraging passage for the church this morning. Not only for us as a church, but for the church as a whole because we realize that the, the shape of the church in America is about to look very different. And it was going to look very different anyways because as I believe was going to happen, as our society continued to change, we were going to see a great number of people who no longer valued the church. The society no longer values the church, but we were going to see people who were committed to going to church and being with God's people who are just going to sit at home because they found out it was easy. They found out it was easy, easier to just stay away than it was to go. And so the church is going to look very different, but that does not mean in any way that God has done with his church in our country. God wants to bless our church. He wants to bless the church. But we have to ask ourselves this morning as we look at Acts chapter 11, what kind of church does the Lord build? What kind of church does the Lord build? We see that this morning. Acts chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 19. I invite you this morning, if you are able, to stand with me as we reverence God's word together. Acts chapter, 19, Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. The Bible says this, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas 
went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. You may be seated. What kind of church does the Lord build? Now the implication of that question is that there are other types of churches, although I think we should use that word loosely, that there are places that label themselves churches, that there are places where people gather and do things. But we ask ourselves this morning, what kind of church does the Lord build? Because here in Acts chapter 11, we see a new church that is built up by the Lord. We, we see people go from being saved to mature believers. We see people give. We see people love God and love others. And so as we think through that this morning, as we, we think about that question, what kind of church does the Lord build? We consider four different areas in which the Lord is building up His church there in Antioch. We see first in verses 19 through 21 that obedience to the mission is blessed. What type of church does the Lord build? He builds a church that obeys Him. Those who are scattered out. So we, we go back, Acts chapter 8, you'll remember when the persecution happened, when Stephen was killed, the church was scattered out. They were scattered abroad. They were scattered all over the world. And then when they went, they began to preach the gospel. And so here a certain group of them travel as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and to end finally to Antioch. Antioch, a, a very pagan city. Antioch that worshipped false idols. Antioch full of sexual immorality. Antioch, the third largest city in the world at the time, or at least the third largest city in the, the Greco-Roman world, was a pagan, dark place. And that's exactly where God sent these men who are scattered because of the persecution. And as they went, they spoke the word. And that is good and encouraging. But we read that they, they spoke the word only to the Jews. They only preached it to them. They, they didn't share it with anyone else. But then the Bible tells us that some of them, a group of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene in particular, when they came to Antioch, they began to speak to the, the Hellenist, or the word here we should understand as Greek, or the one we've been most familiar with so far in Acts is Gentiles. So the majority, when they came in, they, they began to go to the synagogues, which had been their tradition. They began to go to the places where Jewish people gathered and they begin to share to them about Jesus but but these certain men from these two places they decided they wanted to fully fulfill the mission and so they began to speak to the Gentiles 
And in doing so, they preached the Lord Jesus Christ. They preached that Jesus was Lord. And while this was a pagan culture, they were a religious culture. They were following many of these false religions. They heard about Jesus. We are told the hand of the Lord was upon them. These men who were bold and brave and preached the truth. And a great number of the people who heard it believed. A great number of people were saved. A great number of people had their lives transformed. In fact, the scale was huge. So many people turning to the Lord. Why? Because they were obedient to the mission. Had they simply been called to go to the Jews? No. Had that been the the simple calling of what was to take place? No. They were to preach to the Jews, but they were also to preach to the Gentiles. Their mission was from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. They were to go all the way, not part of the way, not some of the way. They were to go all of the way. And when they preached to the Gentiles, people were saved. Lots of people are saved. People are saved that they would have never expected. People that that some of the others would have never believed. Remember, it's not been so long ago that, that no one thought that anyone outside of a a small group of people were going to be saved. And now, you've gone from the man from Ethiopia who who worshipped God, but he was a Gentile. And then Cornelius who, he he worshipped God, but he, he didn't follow all the laws, right? He, 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 wasn't, he didn't give in to circumcision. He hadn't went all the way. And so they, they didn't think he was really that guy. But, but it was more progress of God's message going forward. And now they have come to this city where the population is majority pagan people. People worshiping false gods and giving in to all kinds of debauchery and sin. And even among the worst of the worst offenders, when they go to them and preach Jesus, they are saved. The Lord blesses their obedience. Do you want to know the type of church that the Lord builds? When when the the Lord designs a church and guides a church, do you know the type of church that is? It's the one full of His people who are obedient to the mission. That's the church that the Lord grows. That's the one that He is most concerned with. That is the one that He works on the most. That is the one that He guides the most. The hand, verse 21 says, the hand of the Lord was with them. When they did the work that God had, When they followed what He had said, He was with them. And they were greatly blessed. You know, oftentimes we want God to bless us without any obedience to His mission. 
And, and why should we expect that to happen? My, my dad and I were, were driving yesterday, riding somewhere, and he turned to me and he said, do you, do you ever watch the, the, the camp meeting on television? I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, I, I don't know. I, no, I don't guess I do because I don't know what you're talking about. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, I watched the Inspiration Channel, which that was pretty tough for me to hear, actually. He said, no, because they got good Westerns. It's like, it makes me feel a little better. I, I don't know if anybody watches Westerns on the Inspiration Channel could stick their hand up and verify that for my dad. He's like, okay, I feel better. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. He says, I watched the Inspiration Channel, and after the Westerns, if I'm still up late, the camp meeting comes on. And he said they talked during the camp meeting about planting a, a $1,000 seed. He says, it's all about the $1,000 seed. Now, I, I was worried about what I was going to hear. I was thinking, my, my dad could be planting $1,000 seeds in my bank account, and he's doing it in a televangelist. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be heartbroken. That wasn't the case. He said he watched it because it was funny. Because he, he got comical enjoyment out of really bad singing and $1,000 investments in televangelists. But you know, what you're told when you listen to those people is that if you'll plant the seed in their ministry, you'll be blessed. Now, I want to tell you, today, as we're leaving, any of you are welcome to plant a $1,000 seed into my ministry and take it out of your stimulus check if you've already got it. But I'm not going to promise you anything for it other than I'm going to eat a really good lunch. Because God is not telling us that if we will take a $1,000 investment and, and put it in the ministry of some televangelist and his jet and his big house, that he's going to bless us. What God blesses is obedience to the mission. Obedience to his command to go into the world and make disciples. Obedience to his command to love the Lord your God with all of your soul and your mind and your strength. To, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's obedience to the mission. And let me promise you that when we are obedient to the mission... We do not have to sit there and worry about the return on investment. We don't have to worry about whether that $1,000 seed we planted is going to be returned. Friends, when we are obedient to the mission, God blesses that every time. Amen. And listen, the return on investment is not 1% or 10%. It's a percent that cannot be measured because the return is eternal. When these men... These men of, of Cyprus and Cyrene commit themselves to preaching to those who had never heard the word of God. God blesses them and his church is blessed and it is built up. Second, we see that a mature believer encourages those immature in the faith. A mature believer encourages those immature in the faith. What happens? Well, when God does something, news gets out. And the report comes back to those in Jerusalem. The, the big wigs, the, the people at corporate church, they hear, hey, something's going on in Antioch. And so they send Barnabas. Why do they send Barnabas? We don't know exactly, 
But one of the reasons may have very well been he was from Cyprus. And so if all these crazy guys from Cyprus are up there preaching in Antioch, let's send some guy that's from there to see what it's all about. And so he came, in verse 23, he came to Antioch and he saw the grace of God and he was glad. Do we get glad when we see God's grace in somebody's life? Because I think, I think pretty frequently we get jealous and upset about it, right? Why isn't God doing that to me? And then you turn on the Inspiration Channel and the guy tells you, God's not doing that to you because you haven't given $1,000 to my ministry. I should be using $1,400. That's appropriate this week, right? $1,400 to my ministry. Not 10% of your stimulus check, all of it, right? But what did he do? He was glad, in verse 23, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He encouraged them. That word there, exhorted, it means he encouraged them. We're told here that Barnabas is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And his reaction when he came to believers who were immature in their faith, who were just getting started, was to encourage them. Encourage them in what they were doing. Encourage them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. His mission in life, that's why we, we talk about Barnabas being an encourager, is because that's what he did. He went and encouraged them. Because they were immature in their faith. They were at a fragile moment. Because when you look at the world around you, it's messed up, right? When they looked at the world around them, it was messed up. It was messed up. You had, you had temples all around them dedicated to worshiping false gods. And those temples, many of them worshiped false gods through the act of prostitution. And that's where they are. That's where these new Christians have been planted by God after they have been saved by faith. And they are in a city where this pagan practice goes on each and every day. And when Barnabas comes to them, he not only teaches them, which we're going to see in a moment, but he encourages them to be steadfast and be faithful. Why? Because it was going to be really easy to fall back into what they were doing before. How often do we see that? People come and they, they get excited about the things of God. They get excited about a newfound faith. And it just goes away. They get, they get pulled back in by the world. They get pulled back in by the temptation of sin. I saw someone had posted this morning, and this is kind of a paraphrase of what they said, but it's much easier to avoid sin than it is to get off the road of sin. And Barnabas knows this. And when he comes to them in Antioch as this new church, this new church that God is building up, he knew that they needed encouragement. Friends, are, are we going to be the type people 
if you are a mature believer who spends your time encouraging those who are immature in the faith? Even more than that, are we going to be the type of people that just naturally seek to encourage people? We don't have to just seek them out and say, well, this is a person who's immature in the faith, so I want to encourage them. How about just anybody? Are we going to be the type of people in a world that is tearing everyone down? A world that constantly seeks to belittle other people. Are we going to be the type of people who spend our life encouraging those who are hurting or immature in their faith or just need it for today? Are we going to be those type of people who commit ourselves to encouraging others? Because here, Barnabas, this mature believer, shows up. He sees what's going on. All of these people are Gentile people. They're people that he thought were far from God. He probably thought within himself not long ago that they could not be saved. And yet he goes to them, people he does not know, strangers to him, and he encourages them to remain faithful. And look what God does. He's a good man, verse 24, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Did you notice what happens here? When, when men are obedient to God, God does a great work among them. And then when this man comes and he encourages them, a great many people were added to the Lord. So both with the act of obedience, God builds His church, and with the act of encouragement, God builds His church. It should not be lost on us that we live in a time of great despair among many people, and people need encouragement. I mean, turn on the television if you don't watch the news. You certainly don't read anything good. And I'm not saying that things are nearly as bad as the news says they are. But when, when local news stations have to take an intentional moment in their newscast to talk about something good, we can't believe that our world is in a good place. I've seen that. They, they've taken time intentionally to give some good news because they start off with talking about the number of people that have been killed, the places that were robbed, the death toll of the virus. And yet people need encouragement. People need encouragement because they don't find it anywhere else. And when we encourage others, immature people in the faith to, to be strong and steadfast, they have a better chance of persevering on. The world around us needs to hear some good news. And we have that good news. Third, not only do they encourage, but we read as we start in verse 25 that Barnabas and Saul give their time to teach new believers. Barnabas sees this growth that is happening, and we, the implication here is that he realized he could not do this on his own. And so Barnabas, verse 25, went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Remember, Saul had fled 
Some time has passed, and now when, when Barnabas finds him, he brings him to Antioch. He brings him to Antioch, and for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. In a year. They spent a year. This was not a, a conference. You know, this was not like a two-day event. For a year, they went to this city where these immature Christians, and I don't mean that in a bad way, they were just new, new to the faith. They, they didn't have a Jewish background where they could make all these connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They had nothing. And yet Barnabas and Saul spend their time teaching them. They invest an entire year. Friends, many times we won't invest a weekend in someone else. We, we won't invest a week in someone else. These men invested a year. And you say, well, yeah, but, but man, life is so busy now and things were so laid back then and they didn't have you know, entertainment and, and they, weren't, they weren't playing sports and, and they weren't doing... The bottom line is these men cared enough to invest a year of their life into new believers. You might say, well, did it make a difference? Well, yeah, it did. Because see, if you, if you read the last part of, of that verse, of verse 26, it says, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Well, that doesn't seem like that big a deal. But if we look at the pattern, okay, remember what has happened. The men obeyed, God built up his church. Barnabas encouraged, God built up his church. Here they taught these men, and, and this sentence here is how God built up his church. See, if you look in the Bible, it was never Christians who called themselves Christians. Throughout the Bible, it's always non-Christians who refer to Christians as Christians. The, the believers in the Bible never take that, that title upon themselves. We do that today, right? We'll say, I'm a Christian. Wear a t-shirt that says, I'm a Christian. But in the Bible, that's not what they did. They didn't go around saying, you know, we're Christians. The world began to put that label on them. And it's, it's very possible that the world, the, the watching world, put that on them as a, as a term of embarrassment. A, a term to, to malign them and belittle them. And yet we need to realize that them being called Christians is exceptionally important. Because after they were taught for a while by Barnabas and Paul, after they were taught for a year by Barnabas and Paul or Saul, the world began to look at them and said, those are the people that follow Jesus. They didn't have to go through the streets with their t-shirt and say, I'm a Christian, or, or put it on their Facebook page in the About section, you know, Christian, Baptist, believer. After they were taught for a year, they began to look like Jesus to the community. And the community looked at them and said, oh, those people follow Jesus. See, it's not so important that we call ourselves Christians. 
The important thing is that when the world sees us, that we look like Christ. When the world sees us, they know who we are. When the world sees us, they say, oh, this, that's the person that talks about Jesus all the time. Not the person that goes in and says, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, so I'm this. Or I'm a Christian, so I believe that. But no, Jesus has done this for me, and this is who I am. Jesus has saved me. Jesus has transformed my life. This is who I am. Let me tell you my story of what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you the grand story of what Jesus has done for the world. Amen. Not, well, I'm a Christian. See, it's not important that you accurately label yourself as such, but that when the world sees you, they can label you for who you follow. After a time of teaching after Saul and after Barnabas said, we're going to spend a year with this church. We're going to teach them. They taught, verse 26 says, a great many people. After that, the people of this city, the third largest city in, the modern, in this world at the time, the, the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world, the city of paganism, the city of false worship, the city of hundreds of thousands of people looked at them and said, those people follow Jesus. Friends, that's what happens when we teach the things of God. So here's the question then. If you are able to teach the things of God, and you're not, church is not going to be built like Jesus wants. Because we need people teaching the things of God. If you say, well, pastor, I just don't, I don't feel like I know enough to teach, then are you being taught? Are you being taught? See, being taught is, is good. You know, there's, there's a funny distinction, I think it's a terrible one, between preaching and teaching and and, and all of these things, and I, I think it's a garbage distinction the Bible doesn't make. The reality is that you've got a great opportunity to learn this morning, not because I'm an excellent teacher, but because God's Word is an excellent teacher. But if you feel like you're not there yet, where you could go and teach someone else about the things of God, well, invest some time learning more. Take time to, to learn more so that you can tell more, because here we see the radical power that takes place when these two men, remember... One sees himself as an encourager. The other was a persecutor of the church. He's part of the reason that all of this scattering has taken place. He's pretty well hated by a lot of people right now. But he takes a year of his life to leave the comforts of home where he was from in Tarshish and go to Antioch to teach these men, to teach these women, to teach these people the things of God. And God blesses it because they become identified with Christ in their community. Are you teaching others about the things of God? And if you don't feel up to that, are you willingly being taught to prepare yourself for what God has for you? Because if not, then Christ cannot build up His church in the way that He desires. And then finally, We have a transition in the last three verses, or four verses. The teaching has taken place, and something occurs. It's a test, if you will, of what's the validity of what they have been taught. 
it's almost like the test, right? If you're a good student, you've got a good teacher, you get to the test. The test is not that difficult because you've taken the time to learn what you needed to learn. The teacher has taken the time to teach you what needed to be taught. And we have evidence in verses 25 and 26 that that's what's taken place, right? So here's the test. In these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. Notice where it is. Where does this famine take place? The whole world. Does that include Antioch? Yes. So that's our context of the test. A prophet has come in and said there's going to be a famine. It's going to cover the world. The question is, what will they do about it? So the disciples, you notice, isn't that amazing? They're called disciples here. They went from being Gentiles at the beginning of this passage to now disciples because they've been taught and they're ready. They determined everyone, not some, not part of them, everyone, all of the disciples, according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. When the church was taught, they were a generous people. We've seen that obedience has grown the church. We've seen that teaching has grown the church. We've seen that encouragement has grown and built up Christ's church. And here we see where generosity shows Jesus is building up his church. They get together and they say, we're going to give to our brothers in Judea. Now, it's it's very likely, considering Antioch and Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem, that the, the people of Antioch were much wealthier than the people in Jerusalem. It's, it's very likely that they would have had more financial resources because of where they were and who they were. But they commit to themselves with this famine that's going to affect the entire world, including them, that they're going to be generous. They send help. And they do so in a way that is sacrificial. How do we know it's sacrificial? Well, because they could not have planned fully for what they were going to need as the famine struck there as well as in Judea. It doesn't say, and the the prophet didn't come and say, the whole world except for here is going to have a famine. Everybody else is going to have a famine. Y'all are going to be fine. So y'all got some money if you could send it because the rest of these people are going to be hurting. But they sacrifice. They sacrifice. The Gentiles, now remember, the Gentiles had not really been loved by the church in Jerusalem, the church in Judea. When we get to Acts chapter 15, we're going to find out again that there's a question are these people really even Christians? And in between questioning, earlier in this chapter and questioning in chapter 15. Here these Gentiles who have been taught the things of God are committed and determined that they are going to be generous. And so they sacrifice. They sacrifice not only their giving, but look who they send, verse 30. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Couldn't you have taken like two random guys 
give them a sword, a box of money, and said, hey, you guys take this down there. You'll be able to find it. They sacrificed their money. They sacrificed their teachers to go and to make sure that the people who they don't know have been taken care of. That generosity was bred. That generosity blossomed because they had been taught by Barnabas and Saul. Friends, we are called to be generous people. We are exceptionally blessed. And I'm talking about us in this room. We are blessed. And out of that blessing, we need to be generous. And... and just for clarity, I'm not saying that you aren't or we aren't generous. I'm saying we must continue to be generous. Because when we get in the study of God's word and we examine who he is and what he has done for us, it should naturally bring out from within us generosity toward others who are hurting and in need. Because some realities for us. We can't take it with us. Now, some of you whose parents are in this room are thinking, yeah, but I can spend it after you're dead. Well, maybe so, but then you can't take it with you. It's not ours to start with. It belongs to him. And, and friends, if we're not generous, he can take it. I don't know if you realize that or not. There's a lot of people at various points thought they were pretty high up in the world and God pulled it right out of them. These people right now that something could happen on the stock market tomorrow and they could be out on the street by the end of the week. It belongs to him. And another one, he uses it better than we do. Because when God uses our generosity, it makes an eternal difference. We need to be aware of the fact that God builds up a generous church. It's what he does. God doesn't build up stingy churches. I was in a church one time, and uh, man, they, they, you know, haggling about money all the time, and you looked up, on the wall, they had the old, uh, you know, the old boards that said how many people you had in Sunday school and what your offering was and all that. And the bottom was the building fund. And friends, the building fund, building fund had to be on one line and the number had to be on the next. You know, it goes all the way out to the cent, obviously, but I mean, it was, it was, it was a big number. And I asked, hey, what, what are y'all going to build, you know, with, with that? Uh, we don't have any plans, but it's, it's restricted to, to that. I bet if we drove there this morning, the number on the sign would be bigger, but the church would be exactly the same. Because they were, they were building something one day. Friends, we use that building fund here, it just keeps getting depleted. Why? Because we got an old, rickety building. It ain't failing anywhere yet. But Ned and the building grounds guys, it's, it's a struggle to keep it up, right, Ned? It's a struggle to find the leaks and maybe kill the rodents and everything else that we have to do sometimes. We're not going to hold on to it. 
One, because it's got to be spent or eventually the whole place is going to fall down. But two, because it needs to be used. We need to use what God has given us for, for ministry, for reaching out to people, for helping people, for missions. Why? Because when we see God's word and we realize the impact that God has made on us, that he has given to us more than we could ever imagine. Friends, God sent his son to die for you. God sent his son to die for this church in Antioch. And so for them, it was no big deal to, to take up all that they could and send to Judea to help the church there. Because the church there, when they had scattered, had sent out missionaries and those missionaries had come in to that dark pagan place of Antioch and shared with them how they could know Christ and have eternal life. What was it to them to then give up their wealth so that others could be blessed? Because they had been given something far greater than what was in their bank account. He builds up a generous church. And we see the results because they send out this gift. They send out everyone according to his ability. But you notice it says everyone. It might say according to his ability, but it also says everyone. The church had been taught and they went and they gave and God blessed. So here's the question for us this morning. Are we ready to be the church that God blesses? Are we going to be an obedient church? Obedient to the mission? Are we going to be an encouraging church? Encouraging one another and encouraging the world around us? Are we going to be a teaching and learning church? If you can teach others, do it. If you feel you're not there, be committed to be a learner. Are we going to be a generous church? Helping, giving, going. Ensuring that those around us in the church, those around us in the community, have their needs met. It'll be easy when COVID is over for many churches, including our own, to say, we can't do this. There was a famine. Maybe we could compare that to a pandemic. A year ago, when things started to be shut down, the shelves were bare, right? You couldn't find any toilet paper. You had to wait for things to be stocked up. You couldn't find milk. You couldn't find bread. The, they couldn't keep up with demand. People were hoarding it. It's not so dissimilar, I guess, from a famine, although I'm sure they had it far worse. And yet when that happened, they didn't gather around the leaders, the disciples, and say, you know, guys, we really need to put back for tomorrow. Guys, we don't know how this is going to affect Antioch. We really need to store up some money and store up some food. We really need to be cautious. No, when, when it got bad, they said, we need to give. We need to go. Are we ready today, March 14th, 2021, whatever time it is because the time has changed, are we ready to be the church that God blesses? Are we going to be obedient in sharing our faith? Will we encourage and teach those who are more immature in the faith? Will we show our maturity by being generous? Are we, are you ready 
to be the church that God blesses. I want to leave you with this. The Lord has prepared us to be a church that He blesses. Are we ready? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your goodness and grace toward us. I thank You that You have called us to Yourself. And God, we greatly desire Your blessings as a church. We greatly desire to be built up in our faith and our strength. That's our desire, God, that you would use us in a mighty way as your church. God, if we're not ready, would you prepare our hearts? God, I don't even know what it looks like. If we're we're not ready, God, I don't know what it is that we're missing, God, but I just pray that you'd give that to us. God, if there's some distraction in front of us, God, I pray that you would remove that. God, whatever need that we have, God, I just pray that you would would richly give that to us, that you would bless us with that so that we would have it and be the church that you want us to be. That we would go as you've called us to go and encourage as you've called us to encourage. That we would teach with boldness the truth of your word. God, I pray that we would be generous. God, whatever it is, whatever it takes. God, I want to be ready. We want to be ready as a church. God, I pray that you would work in our life, that you would work in the heart of each person here. God, that whatever it takes, we would be the people that you have called us to be. God, lead us during this time. Help us to reflect. God, help us to reflect on your word and be prepared to go as you've called us to go. Work in our midst as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we're going to sing a final song. And I I just want to ask you this morning to respond to God's word. Friends, as you look at this, do you see in your life a lack of obedience? Would Would you cry out to God? God, help me to obey and then go and obey. Friends, if you have that ability to encourage and you're not using it, why? Why not use it? Use it where you work and in your community. Use it here among the people in the church. There are people who are discouraged all around you. Do you know God's Word and yet you refuse to teach others? Friends, friends, it's time. It's time to commit yourself to to teaching. Teaching about Him to people who desperately need to hear. Are you stingy? Do you hold on to that money tight? Do you hold on to your time because it's so valuable to you? Friends, it's fleeting away. It's a vapor. It's going to be gone. I think about my own life and people say, well, you know, you're so young. And yet I realize that I've, I've probably lived nearly half my life already. Some of you are a lot closer to the end than I am. What are you doing with that time? Are you holding on to it? Because it's going to be gone. Are you using it for Him? Friends, during this time as we're going to sing, we're going to pray. Friends, we need to commit as a church that we want to be ready to be the church that God builds up. Not about getting more people to fill in these pews. Friends, if He builds us up, He takes care of the rest.
we've got to be obedient. Would you commit to that? Would you commit to being generous? Would you commit to encouraging and teaching? Would you commit to those things? We pray together in this time.
want to thank you all for coming to worship this morning. And as we go from this place, uh, I just want to encourage you, go seeking to be the church that God builds Amen. up. Seeking sure. to obey Him and encourage. Seeking to teach those who don't know about the things of God. And being generous. Being generous with your time. Being generous with your money. It's, it's all God's anyway. He can take both from you today. So why not give it to Him? If you're wanting to, to live longer, if that's, that's your thing, maybe the more generous you are with your time, maybe the more God will give you to be generous. I don't know. But I'm telling you this, it's not ours. Let's give it to Him. And so as we go, let's be obedient to what He's called us to do. I hope you'll stay for Sunday school. Our adults will be meeting in here, kids and youth in your classrooms. Uh, come back and study God's Word with us tonight as we continue through the book of Genesis. And uh, 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary, and we do have child care for that. I want to pray for us will be dismissed. I hope you all have a blessed day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. And as we go out of this place, God, I pray that you would just help us. God, help us to obey you. Help us to follow you. God, help us to be on mission for you, carrying out the task you have for us. God, sharing your hope with a world that needs to hear it. Lead and guide us as we go from this place. And God, we just pray that you use us this week as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.